Network interface enabled. Hold, hold. Basement Podcast on the Network Interface Podcasting Network for the week of July 2nd, 2012. I'm your co-host Carlos, and with me is your co-host Ben. That's right, we're changing it up a bit. And with us today, we have a returning guest host, JJ, who's bringing his special expertise to today's exciting topic, the current cultural impact of Steve Hooper. He is still a major player, in my opinion, in Hollywood. You know, I saw that he came out in a Disney World movie, uh, something like The Tower of Terror, but I really actually haven't seen him in anything since then. He was in, in an excellent episode of um, Party Down, the uh, the catering uh, comedy series that was very short-lived but extremely good. I think it's on Netflix. He, I've never heard of it. Oh, oh if you've never right. heard of that, you need to go check it out. It's a Party really down. good series. Right, I'll write that down. Um, basically, it's about this uh, this uh, catering company up in Hollywood and, and the very odd clientele that they end up having to cater parties for. And they one day show up at Steve Gertenberg's place, you know, and, and they're like, oh, we're here to cater a party. He's like, I don't have a party going on, but you can go ahead and come in. And, you know, he's real nice and stuff like that. But you kind of get the feeling that he set it up, but he's pretending he didn't. Anyways, it's it's a really good series. You should check it out. All right. Although, of course, really his lasting impact, Police Academy. You know, how can you go beyond that? Cocoon. I you know, I don't even remember Cocoon, honestly. Oh, uh, I need to oh, watch it again. Man. I remember it being a really good movie, but I need to watch it again. But JJ, you're the expert. Let us know. Uh, I don't remember who Steve Gutenberg is. So. Speaking speaking as the old man of the group, you know, you should be intimately familiar with Cocoon. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, I've got a swimming pool in the backyard with alien eggs in it that kill me nightly. So, feeling which good might about be that. a good segue to today's actual topic, which we brought JJ on for, because JJ is the biggest, you know, Star Wars geek that I know. I think uh, I'm hard pressed to think of someone who's done more with Star Wars than JJ has. Actually, there's one person, one person who's also done a lot with Star Wars, but he couldn't be on today. So, so yeah, uh, the giant monster, you know, influential. Star Wars franchise is what we're going to be talking about today. Before we get to that, though, do we have any news that we wanted to talk about? Um, Anderson Cooper's gay, but who cares? I think we already already knew it. So surprise! I know, right? You know, I think that's it. next. You're going to tell me Neil Patrick Harris is gay, and I'm going to be instantly as unshocked. BJ, he he is. <gasps> Anyways, I know. Um, nothing really going on. I mean, summer's kind of the lull. I, we we did uh, get a release date for Guild Wars 2. Did we talk about that? I don't think um, so. Uh, so, August 28th, the release date. I know everyone's kind of chomping at the bit. We're all... It seems like this point in our gaming um, phase, we're all just kind of buying time until Guild Wars 2 comes out, and then we're all agreeing that that will kind of consume our lives until uh, the next big thing comes across, so... Um, good to have a release date. I know we're all excited about that. Um, Tribes three days are, early if you if you pre-ordered. Three days early if you pre-ordered. So get those. Pre- I think they'll st- they're still taking pre-orders. So get your pre-orders in if you want to get into the early access. Um, Tribes Ascend came out uh, on Steam, and we've been playing that a little bit. That's a lot of fun. Um, they went with the free-to-play model or the the freemium model, I guess. Is what they're also calling some of their their services, and that's been a lot of fun from another competitive gaming standpoint. Um, 
I've been playing The Secret World, which came out today, and I actually really like The Secret World, but I think I'm 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 uh, alone among the group in that. But it, I'm finding it a whole lot of fun. I I played it, and I wasn't like it didn't it wasn't terrible, but it I, I it seemed a little generic. They had a chance to really do something special with it from a gameplay perspective because it's set in modern times, and people got shotguns and stuff like that. And they did kind of try to do something unique with it with the no level system. Everything's like you know you you just get experience points to level up skills, but you don't actually have quote unquote levels per se. I just I wasn't feeling it though. It just didn't feel as unique as it could have been. Right, I like it. I, I'm hard pressed to find a game like it at the moment. Um, yeah, and, and I think I do like the skill system. But basically, they have uh, you can have seven active skills, seven passive skills available at any time, uh, and then by doing combinations of wep- different kinds of magic and weapon skills, you get certain bonuses and stuff like that. Um, they do have you know the same thing that a bunch of other people do in the sense that they have tank-ish, DPS-ish, heal-ish kind of builds, but yeah, it's still still pretty fun. Uh, I've been enjoying it, and I really like the uh, puzzle aspect to it. They have, they're have they really strong on the puzzle games, which is very interesting for a game that's set in modern times. Um, we thought we were going to get that with Dungeons & Dragons Online, because I remember the original, like, some of the original dungeons in there did have kind of puzzles, and we all were, like, really excited. We're like, ooh, it's going to be, like, real Dungeons & Dragons, but they only had it in, like, four dungeons or something like that, you know, three three or four dungeons, they had some kind of puzzle. So I think sometimes that's hyped, but doesn't always live up to the expectation that players expect. You're right, though. They they did have some some thought-based stuff going on there. I actually had to, like, read the text and know what was going on in the, uh, the missions rather than just go to point A, kill X number of people, go to point B, kill Y number of people. There There is some extra stuff going on in there. Yeah, th- those missions, the kill X number of people, Y number of people, there are some of those, but those are actually the minority yes. in this game, so that's that's kind of interesting. And uh, at least the first section, very, very, very Lovecraft. Very Lovecraft, completely. I mean, there's even a place called Lovecraft Avenue, and there's, like, Dunwich Fisherman Store, and etc. Oh, I know so, the yeah. zone you're talking about. That was an yeah. awesome zone. Yeah, it's based completely on Innsmouth uh, from the Lovecraft series. So, yeah, that, that's been kind of fun. All the games are really trying to hype getting away from the Holy Trinity, but if you play the games, people just... It's such an efficient form of gaming that they, they just go there anyways, right? The Guild Wars 2 was the same way. They were like, listen, you don't need the Holy Trinity. You can... People are self-sufficient for, like, you know, being able to do damage and control and, and heal and stuff like that, but we even saw in Guild Wars 2 people just naturally just progressed and migrated towards those roles because, you know, it's gameplay they're familiar with and it's efficient gameplay. Yeah. Um, other news, uh, Amazing Spider-Man, much like a lot of other movies, has been released overseas, even though it's not going to be released here in the U.S. for a couple of days, and it's had a very solid opening so far. Uh, as of a couple of days ago, it made $50 million, and it's expected to do pretty well here in the U.S., although I don't expect that it will do near, uh, Avenger success. And in shocking news, um, two releases that were not as big as a normal like box office uh, uh, release normally is. Uh, Magic Mike and Ted owned the weekend, right? Yeah. Yep. And Ted actually came out on top. It did. Now, now the difference here. Okay, so Magic Mike is is the the one about the male strippers, and it's got a bunch of um, uh, actors in there. Like, uh, what's his name? Is it? It's it's got Matt Boomer from uh, White Collar, Matthew McConaughey. Um, of course, Channing Tatum, and uh, I think it's um, Adam Rodriguez from uh, CSI Miami. 
Um, anyways, it's got a lot of these guys in it. It's directed by Steve Soderbergh, a great director, an amazing director. And, and he said that he's going to retire soon, and this is like one of his last films. Made for $7 million. This film was $7 million. It's made 40 already, so they're, they're already like making all their money back. Great. Ted, you know, they, uh, the one um, made by Seth MacFarlane, it's got Mark Wahlberg. Uh, Patrick Stewart does the narration, and um, there's even... Uh, Ryan Reynolds has a little guest like cameo in the movie. You don't hear him talk at all, but he's in the movie. Anyways... Production budget fifty million. It's already made fifty four million, right? So I, I, there's something about these very lean movies that you know are very smart and and you know well made and and they do well. You don't need to have that, you know, two hundred million dollar budget to to make money off of the films. So there, it's a good release. And and then this is all just kind of warming us up for, of course, Spider Man's going to dominate the next weekend, and and soon after that we got Batman. Batman. Batman, you know, the question is, can Batman beat Avengers? I don't think it can. Uh, I don't think so either, but uh, yeah, no I way. think it'll do pretty well, yeah. I mean, the Avengers is, all, is like the the third highest grossing, and it keeps going up. It's like at $1.4 bill, you know, billion at this point, so... Yeah, no, there's no way it'll beat Avengers. I agree with JJ. Um, the question is, how is it going to do compared to Batman? Uh, not, uh, not Batman, I'm sorry, uh, Spider-Man. <clears throat> That's up in the air. I mean, it, Spider-Man looks good. Even though I don't think we need another Spider-Man movie, I think it looks good. Yeah. So, we'll see. We'll see. So, let's get into the meat of the, the episode. Star Wars. All things Star Wars. So, what I want to hear from JJ is sort of your history with Star Wars. Introduction and early obsession thereof and various forms that you have, you know, be it, you know, movies, books, video games. You know, what has been some of your favorite Star Wars experiences? Well, um, my actual Star Wars experience starts in 1977, um, the summer of, yes, I'm that old. (laughs) Um, I was only, uh, I guess about four years old, I guess, when it came out. Um, and I went and saw it with my dad. Um, of course at four years old, I wasn't a really good critic or anything, but, uh, uh, it was amazing to see, um, this giant ship fly over your head when you go to the theater. Um, then just from there, I mean, when Empire Strikes Back came out in 1980, I mean, we stood in line forever to go see that one, um, and then of course Return of the Jedi, and then um, probably my biggest first memories of Star Wars was in its video uh, release. So they finally released it on video uh, sometime in the late 80s, I would say, maybe mid 80s, uh, somewhere around in there. And uh, at this time, we didn't even have a uh, uh, VCR. So um, you used to go and rent a VCR and about five or six movies for the weekend. And I would rent the Star Wars movies in a VCR every weekend, like during the summer or something, and uh, watch them all back to back to back to back to back until I had them all memorized. Um, I see a lot of the same thing with uh, with my daughter now. She's three, and she watches My Little Ponies over and over, back to back to back to back. So uh, just to throw in a plug for My Little Ponies again. Um, and then, of course, The Disaster, which was um, the prequels, uh, came out. And, of course, I stood in line uh, to go see The Phantom Menace and was... Uh, Pretty, pretty supremely disappointed um, 
from the get-go. I mean, it was a huge build-up to that. I mean, I had read, I had started reading all the all the books and everything that that happened in between there, and um, there was all this hype and all this build-up for what what they were going to be, and and it just seemed like a big letdown from what I had when I was a kid. So, um, lots of um, RPGs um, or. In between there, uh, I remember mid '90s. There was a six-sided uh, RPG that we played all the time. Um, Western and games. Then, yeah, yeah. And then, uh, and then, Watsy, of course, came out with uh, Star Wars. Um, their their version of Star Wars. Yeah, called the Star Wars Saga Edition. Right. And uh, and I played a lot, a lot, a lot of the the Star Wars CCG from uh, Decipher. Uh, before I think Watsy ended up taking that over and destroyed it. And so anyway, um, I was a was a tournament player and also a judge for the the Star Wars CCG. So lots and lots of Star Wars in my background and under my belt. And what is we, we Carlos and I know the answer to this question already, but we the general audience might not know who is your favorite uh, Star Wars character. That would be Boba Fett. And. Uh, I always find it odd when people say Boba Fett because he has been hyped up over the years, but he has such a very small role within you know the actual movie franchise. You know, it wasn't until the uh, like the when they rebooted it with the first three movies that they gave you know him a bit of a bigger role. I think because of how popular he was. So, what was it about Boba Fett that interested you? Um, just the bounty hunter aspect. I mean, he he caught. He's the guy who caught and or captured your your favorite character essentially um in Han Solo. I mean he he uh he tracked him down and found him and he was the best of the best of the bounty hunters essentially. And so um that that wait, was wait, kind of the Wait a minute. He didn't catch on Solo. Vader did. Vader handed him to him in a He was the he was the one who tracked Han Solo from the uh from the Star Destroyer um and Gave the cue to uh, to Darth Vader of where he was. So essentially, okay. he he's the one that caught caught Han Solo. He's the one that figured it out. Okay. Um, I, y'all are gonna have to actually fight this out. Uh, no, no, no. We, we won't have to fight it. I'm I'm gonna win when we're there. No, no. Also, J- there, JJ could take me. The, there was a uh, there was a cartoon I think in the 70s, maybe it was the 80s, um, that had some background between uh, Boba Fett and Han Solo and. Uh, and uh, so they, he kind of showed up um, in the extended universe of Star Wars as well. So they flushed him out a little bit, gave him some history, some past experiences, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. To kind of give that rivalry a bit more teeth. Yeah, let's let's mention that in that uh, we've talked a lot about canon and stuff like that, and and what canon is in Star Wars can get awfully confusing because you have the movie universe, right? You have what they call the expanded universe, which covers, I mean, and usually I hear that term referred to as the many, 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 many hundreds of Star Wars novels that are out there, uh, and and you know, covering all space and time and and whatever having to do, anything having to do with Star Wars. You got the video game stuff. You got the RPG, the, the two different RPGs you have. And so when you talk about – oh, and one, there's a couple of things that, uh, that uh, we skipped over because I remember standing in, in line for Star Wars, but uh, really for the Star Wars re-release because remember when they did that in the 90s? They re-released them, they digitally remastered them, and they came out of the theaters again. And it was 
super popular. Uh, I, I, yeah. I was here in Austin at the time. Uh, I was in line behind Harry Knowles. It, it was it was uh, it was uh, it, it did really well. Yeah. Oh yeah. It, we uh, I we still took have Matt tickets th- for those to get stubs. Yeah, we took Matt there to save him from alcohol poisoning to one of those uh, movies. <laughs> <laughs> to save him from alcohol poisoning. Yeah, you never heard that story. <laughs> Apparently not. Uh, there's so within the whole Star Wars release, there's a bunch a bunch of like epic stories that go along with it. So when they did the re-release, I'm sitting at home having dinner with my father, and I was the considered you know a a not an authority figure, but just someone who knew what to do simply only because I had a car, right? Not not from any like you know intelligence or anything like that. Only because I had a car was I you know considered someone who could a problem solve or something like that. So they uh. Scott and Matt show up at my front door at dinner while I'm with my father, and they're and Matt's like sitting there dry heaving, and they're sitting there going, "Hey, uh, we think he's dying, and we don't know what to do." So, so your first thought, Star Wars? Well, no, I mean, I was like, I'm "Well, kidding. we need to take, we need to take him to the hospital," and he's like, "I don't want to go to the hospital; I'll get in trouble." And so I first of all I made him down like a liter of water, and then I took him to the uh, the movie theater, and I made him eat two tubs of popcorn. And he's sitting there, and he's like, "I don't want to eat popcorn. I don't want to eat popcorn." I'm like, "It's starch. It's going to soak up the alcohol." So just and and made him watch the Star Wars re-release. And then we have another story with um, the Phantom Menace came out, right? And it had been bought out for months, right? Zero tickets. And the day of release, I look over at Scott and I say, hey, I want to go see Phantom Menace. And Scott laughs and he's like, listen, we're not going to be able to see it for weeks, right? You know, all the tickets are bought out. And I was like, nope, I got this. So we go to the movie theater and we stand in line and Scott starts getting a little fidgety. He's like, dude, what are we doing? We don't have tickets. And I'm like, don't worry, I got this. So we go, we stand in line, we stand in line, they start letting people in. We're the very last people in line. And the ticket taker, he's, you know, tearing tickets. He's like, yeah, thank you. Oh, second door, second door, right? It comes to us. And he's like, tickets. And I just jump in front of him and I go, we don't got tickets. And I run into the freaking movie theater. And Scott's like, what the crap? <laughs> <laughs> and he runs in with me and the theater packed and I just run in and I find two, you know the nearest two seats I can and I sit down and he's like they're going to kick us out they're going to kick us out and I'm sitting there going listen I worked at a movie theater for years and years and years he's not going to care it's beyond his pay grade it's not worth his time and effort to go call police or something like that sure enough they didn't we got to see the movie for free on opening day kids uh, not, do not try this at home yeah the service not... right here admitted on this podcast you know they, they've been they've been searching you for you for years bj i expect to hear a knock on your door any any time now no no what i expect is when my wife listens to this episode she's gonna come jump up and punch me in the face because she hates that story <laughs> she hates that story of me being all right so, so mission accomplished jj excellent yeah well, all right <laughs> so, so yeah um in addition, so yes, there's the six major films, and obviously those films were life-saving, apparently. But yeah, they've had a huge impact on everyone. But there's also the novels, comic books, video games, TV shows. I assume that everyone here has seen the uh, Christmas special. Of, of course. So if you if people have not seen the Star Wars Holiday Special, this came out in 1978. It is on YouTube. It was a two-hour special. That is actually the first appearance of Boba Fett. And it had uh, B. Arthur and a whole bunch of other really, really strange and creepy things going on. Um, it's not talked about a whole lot except in this context of, of people making fun of it a lot, but it is it is so worth watching. You you have to see it at least once in your life. Or it's, you it's, pretty, it's pretty awful, actually. <laughs> 
Uh, and then you remember they also had the TV show that there were two Ewok the movies. Ewoks. Oh yep. my gosh! And really, the second one traumatized me uh, completely because the first one was an Ewok adventure. It was all happy and and everything, and you know, everybody, the Ewok they got together with the Ewoks and they won and beat the bad guys. And then the second movie it starts out with uh, and and here's a spoiler for people who want to go back and watch 1985 uh, TV movies. It starts off with killing the people's parents. And then, then it drastically goes down from there. It's much darker than the original thing. Um, and we also have um, the the Clone Wars, the the little the Cartoon Network television series, and there was also a Clone Wars movie. And apparently, there's rumors of a live action Star Wars show uh, coming out in the future. Now, when it comes to canon, like there's also a lot of video games, and one of the companies that's done, I think, the most video games for the Star Wars universe is BioWare, but I think they kind of skirted the canon problem by setting their story like a thousand years in the past. So, right, it, uh, they didn't have to worry about that as much. Right. I mean, they made my one of my all-time favorite games, and definitely my favorite Star Wars game, which is Knights of the Old Republic, the original. Yep. Um, yep which is just an amazing, amazing video game, still worth playing today. Um, uh, It's a really, really, really good RPG. Definitely one of of my tops. How uh, how about you all? Well, despite it not doing as as well as everyone said it was going to, I really enjoyed Star Wars The Old Republic. I enjoyed the storyline for the characters. Uh, I got very invested in the the, uh, companion characters. I mean, I'm a huge Mass Effect fan, and it felt a lot like Mass Effect uh, in in the way that it did its storytelling and, and... you know how you engage with the the stuff that was going on. So for, for me, I I enjoyed Star Wars: The Old Republic. Uh, I did too. It was, and for me, it was a great. I mean, I, I didn't play it with y'all as much as I played uh, the game alone, and I thought that it was a uh, a really good single player game. Actually, um, I had a lot of fun with it as well. JJ, yes. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean. I... I enjoyed. I enjoyed. We're talking about the first original game, right? Not the uh, the MMO. Or what well, is your fa- what are your favorite games? I guess of the Star Wars franchise. Well, I mean, I I go back way old school, right? So I played yeah. the original Atari games um, that came yeah. out that were yeah. you know eight bit awful and, games. But, and as far but, as influential, that arcade game was also a lot of fun. Yes, the arcade game was amazing. I mean, for the time, it was amazing. I mean, I pumped. I don't know how many quarters into that thing. Mm-hmm. Um, they had both a sit-down one and, and uh, the one where I was that had just kind of the 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 weird um, oh Knight Rider joystick kind of steering wheel that you shot uh, as you went down the Death Star trench and stuff like that. But right. uh, um, but yeah, um, and, and and then the you know the newer MMO uh, you know caught my attention caught our attention for for about a month and that was about it. I mean uh, once you once you hit max level. Which was what fifty or sixty? I can't it's remember. 50. Uh, um, it just kind of just kind of petered out and died for us. So, I, you know, I, I don't know. Um, but but the original uh, uh, one from Bioware, I, I I really enjoyed that one. I mean, it, it really kind of sucked me back into to Star Wars for a while. I guess you could say, and then. Um, and did did they make a sequel to that? They did. Uh, Sith, yeah, they made Knights of the Little Republic 2, the Sith Lords. Yeah, and I, and I never played that one, so... 
it was good. good. It was good as well. Just it, you know, just for me, the first Kodor is just so iconic that I think that yeah. one really holds my memory. The second one was was fun too, but I think the first one was better done. Oh, I completely agree. And and I mean, if we're going to go a bit more old school, like out of the old, more old school games, uh, like Tie Fighter is really good. But I actually enjoyed yes. Jedi Knight, the Jedi mm-hmm. Knight series, Jedi Knight, mm-hmm. Jedi Knight Dark Forces Two, whatever, all, all that stuff. I love those games. They were so good. And I always like the uh, the Rogue Squadron series, uh, are the the ones where you uh, where you flew in the uh, usually the X wings or the Tie Fighters and stuff like that. I, I enjoyed the space combat games as well. Yeah, there's just yeah. there's so much, so many video games that came out. Uh, even they even did a, a, a real time strategy game, Empire at War, which was pretty decent. Um, right. They uh, did one. Yeah. They had one set to uh, Age of Empires as well. I think. Um, it was a it was a real time strategy uh, used the Age of Empires engine, um, which was actually better than than Battlefield. Right. Yeah, and I mean, and to give you a sense, I mean, th- these are these are media. Star Wars is just a, such a media thing. When I said hundreds of novels, I wasn't kidding. And when you go and look about Star Wars video games, you can find stuff. You know, sites that talk about the 10 best Star Wars video games and the 10 worst Star Wars video games because there's, there's so much to choose from. Um, it's it's getting harder to find a lot of the older ones for the older systems, obviously, but there are some that just keep on coming out. In fact, I've heard they're going to re-release Knights of the Old Republic uh, on uh, to, so that it'll run on uh, you know modern computers again. So that'll, that'll, oh. that'll be pretty cool. And... You know, video games are just like one tiny facet of it because then there's the entire book uh, selection going out there. Now, we're going to probably have varying differences of the books. I'm I'm just, you know, shot in the dark here, but I'm willing to bet Carlos has read the most books out of the three of us. I'm not willing to bet. I think J.J. might have read more than I have. Mm, I've, I've really only read two series. Um, the... The the pivotal pivotal books, of course, I think, are the Timothy Zahn books, which are yes. um, uh, essentially happen after uh, Star Wars: Return of the Jedi, um, in the aftermath of what happens to the Empire and um, and the problems that still happen there. Um, and then uh, I've read a few of the of the Jedi Academy books in that series. Um, I've read some books earlier than that too. Um, um, some of the Han Solo books and stuff like that um, in the, I guess they were from the 80s, maybe 90s, uh, but maybe 80s, I can't remember, but I've read I've read some of those as well, but I would say all in all, I've probably only read about 10, 15 books in the Star Wars um, extended universe. That's, that's probably similar to where I am as well. Yeah, I've read the Timothy Zahn books, uh, and, and Timothy Zahn um, so the very, very first of, of the what we call the expanded universe was probably uh, a spin-off novel from Star Wars by Alan Dean Foster, who's a, a, a fairly well-known fantasy author and, and science fiction author. Uh, and it was called Splinter of the Mind's Eye. Um, it is famous because it has a kissing scene between Luke and Leia. Uh, since you know this came out before Empire Strikes mm-hmm. Back, so uh, yeah, so that that was probably one of the very first books. But yeah, the next ones that drew a lot of scrutiny were Timothy Zahn series of, of uh, what about what happened after Return of the Jedi, um, 
and stuff happens. <laughs> so uh, there are we'll probably have to give some spoilers in this in this expanded universe, but um, different things happen to some of the major characters in the in the post uh, in the expanded universe post Return of the Jedi, including some really controversial things like the biggest one that I can think of being the death of Chewbacca. Um, so, which was, which was, uh, hugely, hugely controversial and, but, uh, did, did actually happen in some of the novels and, uh, and comics. Yeah. The current, uh, the Jedi Academy stuff also that had, which was a young adult series, if I recall, right? Uh huh. Yeah. So that also, uh, the characters from that series, the, the fairly popular young adult, uh, Jedi Academy series went on to, uh, the expanded universe uh, after they had grown up a bit. And again, controversy uh, surrounded them because one of the very first things that happened once they graduated from their young adult series was that they killed off a major character, turned one of them evil, did all kinds of terrible, terrible things to them. So some of the kids who were growing up with them were, were kind of offended by that. But it's not, you know, they're not a bad series. But the most recent books I've seen have been mostly related to the MMO. And mm-hmm. and some of them are pretty good. Um yeah, I did read the the Riven one. Um, you actually let me borrow that one, and I enjoyed that one. So, right, and uh, this is because the the Old Republic took place after the Knights of the Old Republic standalone RPGs, and the 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 Revan book was a way to branch the old RPGs and the new books. They've also come out with a few others about, uh, and they even have one in which a Jedi is not all powerful and kind of makes mistakes and stuff like that, which you know is, is never happens. <laughs> Never. But, but uh, you know, Star Wars, the, the influence of Star Wars goes beyond, I mean, it goes beyond this this general, all, even the media empire. Um, they won awards for Star Wars for the sound that they did. Uh, Lucas and, and his company developed THX. Uh, they, they did all kinds of uh, really impressive special effects and, and sound editing in the movies that have gone on to be hugely influential. Industrial Light and Magic as Industrial well. Industrial Light and Magic was the yeah was the other big one that I was going to, to mention there, and so we have a lot of movie technology completely due to this series. Um, one video game that we haven't mentioned but I've heard good things about is the Lego games, and I think you've played those. Right? Oh, yeah. I've, uh, my my son who is now five years old um, will not. I mean, we we go through all of the the Lego games, but uh, his favorite for sure for a long time and and even still after the new Batman Legos 2 uh wears off um he will go back to to Star Wars Legos just his favorite and and that's another thing too is I should have mentioned is is that now even with the next generation my children I mean they all love Star Wars and most of that comes from me because I show them the movies but but even my my daughter loves the the Clone Wars movie and uh series and she just, I mean, she's in love with Ahsoka, which uh, is is one of the characters there, um, a, a young Padawan uh, uh, female character, and she's just enamored with her. So, uh, The benefit is they keep reinventing Star Wars, right? You know, with the Clone Wars going, and then, you know, the they had the Lego games come out in a staggered release, and now they're going to do this other TV series. I mean, the 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 novels, the video games, it's it doesn't go away. It's not like uh, you don't see them doing a whole lot with, like, say, the Tolkien stuff, right? Besides the movies, Tolkien doesn't get reinvented every you know year or two years or something like that. And and while you know you'll have people argue 
you know, which is more epic, you know, Tolkien or Star Wars. They're not the same beast, right? You know, they have the same argument, you know, which is more epic, Star Wars or Star Trek. You know, even though they're both sci-fi, they're two different things. But Star Wars really benefits in the same respect that Star Trek does is that it gets reinvented, you know, on a very, very regular basis. Right. And that keeps it fresh and it keeps the, the audience involved. And what's not to like? It's what I What happens sometimes is there's that argument about whether or not it counts as sci-fi or fantasy, right? And it, it's going to be sci-fi, in my opinion. I don't know what you guys think, but... I, I think fantasy. Oh. Oh, are we going to fight now, Carlos? Is this going to be our first fight? <laughs> let me no. let me fix it. Let me fix it, because I think it's both. <laughs> and, oh, and it, dirty the water has to, It has to be both. Um. Right. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with that. Uh, I think that the particularly the first movie, and especially as you look at the earlier scripts, I think Lucas was really doing a fantasy in space. but And that got developed a lot more over time, uh, especially as they expanded in the universe. I, I, I will agree with that. you know, But for the most part, it is a science fiction. And I hate to bring it up, it's like the pink elephant in the room, but he tried to alter that with the introduction of midichlorians. And he, he tried to make it hard science and not, you know, sci fantasy. He did, which which was actually a backpedaling from what he had said earlier, which where so of course the big, it, it is the first movie in particular. It is um, we talked about Akita Kurosawa a little bit last time. Mm-hmm. Lucas's early scripts basically had uh, Akita Kurosawa made a, a movie called Hidden Fortress, which was a which was told from the perspective of the like. The lobies, the two, these two, these two peasants, basically, and Star Wars originally was uh, a, a, an, a, an English treatment of that movie uh, that eventually got expanded quite a bit. So now Star Wars is, is quite different from it. But again, the earlier you look, the more obvious the influences, and it's one that he that he he himself says. I mean, he he he's he he's made no secret of that. And uh, but yeah, it was basically. It was a couple of, of people traveling uh, to with a wizard to rescue the princess, and, you know, so, and, and with magic, you know, which was the Force. So it, to me, that I mean that that's definitely a lot of sci-fi elements. And the and he said that the Force was intended to um, to kind of be a spiritual magical element uh, in, in the world. So um, right, even even called a hokey religion by Han Solo in the first right. film. Right. So it, it's I, I'll 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 yield the argument and agree it's it is um it it's a is space, it's a space opera is what they call it. It is a space opera. It is a sp- much like um, Mass Effect is a space opera, right? You know, it's they're they're both kind of fit that same category of of a dramatic story told with elements of both science fiction and fantasy. You know, those are just kind of vehicles for the story to be told, um, but. One of the things that that I think people don't appreciate all the time, and, and this is like stuff that I learned from watching uh, the uh, the Red Letter Media review <laughs> of Phantom Menace. Uh, basically, there's this group that you know they do movie reviews. They're kind of funny. They're dirty. You know, they 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 throw out a lot of cuss words and stuff. But they have very well pointed reviews because they they tackle things from a narrative perspective, right? It's not just a oh well we hate this actor because you know she's you know trashy or something like that. They they instead break it down. Does it make sense from a narrative perspective? And as they were reviewing like the Phantom Menace, they didn't compare it against other movies. They compared it constantly to the first movie a new hope right mm-hmm. saying 
it fails from a narrative perspective, whereas, you know, all the things from a narrative perspective, New Hope did correctly. And one of the things they say is that in A New Hope, it's a very efficient movie. It opens up with that very long shot of of, uh, Princess Leia's, you know, cruiser getting attacked by that Star Destroyer. The cruiser is is minuscule compared to the Star Destroyer, and it's that very long, long shot of, you know, more and more of the Star Destroyer going by. It was, did a great satire of it in Spaceballs, right? You know, it just keeps going and going and going. Right. And that, that tells you, without saying a word, that the Empire is the long arm of the law and the Republic are the underdogs, right? Right. What, what was most shocking about that scene is when the, when the cruiser comes by, um, it's huge to you. You've never seen anything that big before. The way he shot it, the perspective as it flies over your head, you're like, wow, that's a big ship. And then all of a sudden, you hear the, the explosions and the laser fire, and then here comes a bigger ship. You, even the even it gets a shadow, you know, the, the shadow comes over the top of you, and, and here's this huge Star Destroyer that's just even more immense. And, and kind of with each movie, a, a bigger and bigger ship each time. Um in, in the opening scene, so it, it it was just it was just kind of awe inspiring. You just didn't know what to think when this huge thing that takes up a whole movie screen in front of you was was going over the top of your head, and you're thinking, "Wow, how'd they shoot this?" And of course, 18 HBO specials later, you get to see all the perspective and how they did it, and all the models and and all that sort of thing. So so yeah, I mean, you can. And, and as soon as Darth Vader walks in, as soon as he breaks in uh, to Princess Leia's ship, I mean, you just instantly you hate that man. There's no, there's no two ways about it. That man is awful. Now, now, how? I mean, like, okay, so the name inspires, you know, fear, and but it's not an immediately obvious name, Darth Vader. It it sounds malicious without being obviously so, right? So it it it's a good name, but. I think the majority of that badassness is sold by John Williams' you know, excellent score, The Imperial March, right? Yes, yes. Everyone instantly knows if you've got that going. There's even a, uh, a joke about that in Ted where his cell phone, he has his girlfriend, uh, whenever she rings, her custom ringtone that he has is The Imperial March. And she's like, uh, isn't that a bad thing if like The Imperial March is going off when I call you? He's like, no, this is from The Notebook. Or, you know, it's, right. it's fine. Yeah, it's, it's an obvious cultural touchstone. When uh, when Wizards of the Coast wins awards at the Ennies, I guess it was last year, they played The Imperial March for them to come in. And and so, I mean, all of that together. and then But the problem is, is as he creates and as he continues to flush out the series – Rather than be subtle about it, like he he was with that introduction, it gets more and more obvious. Like he's trying to hit you over the head, to saying this is a bad guy. You know, next we have Darth Maul, who okay, the Maul you know has sort of insidious tones or what have you, but you know it's not that obvious. But then the the main bad guy in the next in the first three is like Darth Sidious. Are you kidding me, Darth Sidious? I would never trust that man. And yet they have those. Uh, the, those guys with the robots trust him twice. We, I would never broker a deal with some guy whose name is Darth Sidious because I know he's going to backstab me in some form or fashion. So right, it, and they and they develop Darth Maul to the point where you're kind of thinking, oh, this is going to be our new bad guy for the next three films, right? You know, you're you're thinking episode one, two, and three is going to have Darth Maul in it, and then he's done. I mean, after the the first. The, the first installment, he's done. He's gone. And you're like, uh, what do I have to look forward to now? 
Darth Maul was such a throwaway character. He, you had like in that scene where it's him and Ewan McGregor fighting, you are not invested whatsoever because you know nothing about Darth Maul's, you know, his investment in this whole thing, right? You know, he's just some pawn. He's a red shirt. He is, he is a red shirt for for all intents. I, I hate using a Star Trek reference, right? The Imperial red shirt. Yeah, he he really is. I mean, you, you don't know anything about his motivation for turning to the dark side or or any of that stuff, and he just shows up. I think he had, like, four lines of dialogue, maybe, in the entire movie. Uh, I mean... Yeah, well, they couldn't let the actor actually talk. No, Ray Parks is not really known for his ta- talking. Although, he was better as Toad in the X-Men movie than Holly Berry was as Storm. It's, so, it's true. I, I think that's a credit to his acting, because Holly, didn't Holly Berry win, like, an Academy Award? Yeah, in Monster Ball. Yeah, so... yeah. So, you know, there's something to be said for his acting abilities. But um so, and that that reminds me of something though that there's at least this perception and and certainly say discussion amongst a lot of Star Wars fan about George Lucas's influence on the movies and whether that's a good thing or a bad thing for them. Um and especially since uh he apparently exerted greater influence asserted greater influence over the prequel movies than he did over like the Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. Uh what do you all think about that? So that let's let's face facts. If you look at the original trilogy, right? The uh New Hope, uh Empire Strikes Back and the uh the Return of the Jedi, if you had to or put them in order of best to worst, right? And that's not saying they're bad movies, but you know, which one's the best and which one's the second best and third best. What would you guys put those in order of? I do Empire, Empire, Star Wars, Return of the Jedi. Yeah, Empire, New Hope, Return of the Jedi. So I would probably put it as Empire, Return of the Jedi, New Hope. And and the thing is, is in in the original trilogy, Lucas directed just the first movie, and and I think that the first movie, although narratively strong, it suffers you know from some other problems. Um, but he didn't direct the second two. Right. And and I think that. If you, I, th- I think he needed to give up some of that control for the the prequels. He he needed to not not exist in a bubble, right? Because it's the same problem I had with like the Mass Effect three ending. One dude wrote that and didn't let anyone else have like any kind of editing control over it, right? So he operated in a bubble, and because of that, the last like five ten minutes of that game suffered. And because George Lucas was like he maintained an iron grip on the series for the prequels and was like unwilling to bend on anything and you know my movie my 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 you know intellectual property is going to be my way, you have to be able to let people into your circle to say you know what that kind of sucks and you need to you know maybe do something a little different. Well, it isn't just the prequels. Let me ask you a question, a very very serious question: Who shot first? Oh my god! Oh my god! So, of course, Carlos is no. referencing the digital Twitch inserted to... so Because as George Lucas got older and he had kids, he didn't want to... And, and Steven Spielberg is the same, suffers the same problem because like he went in with E.T. and he replaced all the FBI agents' uh, shotguns with walkie-talkies. With walkie-talkies pointing them at people. Yeah, and, and whenever Scott and I see that, we always make the same joke. We The the guy's there, and they're kind of awkwardly holding the walkie-talkie, because it's not actually a walkie-talkie, it's supposed to be a shotgun. And as soon as we see that, we both go at the same time, where are goddamn shotguns, you know? <laughs> so, But, uh, so, you know, Hans is talking to Greedo. Greedo's, you know, got a gun trained on him, and, and Hans is, you know, acting all cool and laid back, and he's like, oh, there's not going to... I, I, 
I don't have it. We got to tell, you know, the Jabba that I don't have it. And boom, you know, he's slowly sliding out the gun and shoots Greedo, right? Now, and, and George Lucas went back and said, you know, well, Han Solo is a good guy. Good guys don't shoot first. And <clears throat> I think he was missing the point. <coughs> Hold on. <coughs> Sorry. It's not that Han Solo is a bad guy for shooting first, right? It's because he understood the gravity of the situation, and it was a kill-or-be-killed situation, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. No, not at all. So, what's your take, JJ? Well, I mean, obviously, I mean, I'm old school. Before before the re-releases and before he switched anything, I mean, I had the movies memorized. I knew... I knew where the cardboard cutouts were in the final uh, uh, scenes and and all that stuff. So, um, to me, I mean, Han Han shot first. Um, he's he, and he did it because he knew Greedo was was either going to shoot him or take him to to Jabba the Hutt, and both of those prospects were not not in the cards for him. So uh, he was just going to be done with it and and move on with his life. Exactly, and I think we, we've had a, a more recent, like, really good example of that, and that was in Firefly, where it was in the train episode, right? Was it the train episode? I, it was at the very, or well, the end, the end of the episode uh, where they robbed the planet. Yes, yeah, to, for the medical supplies. <clears throat> and so the big bad guys, you know, lieutenant shows up, right, and and they try to ambush them, and they survive. They tie him up, and he throws him the money, he says, listen, uh, you know, this is to square me with your boss, you know, this is a bad job, we don't want to do it, but we don't want to be on bad terms, so take this money to your boss, tell him we're square, this isn't going to happen. And this big, beefy guy who's tied up, and they're in front of the ship, he's like, you know, wherever you go, I'll hunt you down, you know, wherever you turn, my blade will be there, and someday soon, you know, I will be pulling my, you know, the bloody knife from your torso. And, you know, uh, Malcolm, he's just like, well, that didn't go as I intended, and he kicks the dude into the exhaust, right? And then the the second guy, he gives the same speech. He sits down another guy. He's like, this is the money for your boss. You know, tell your boss, you know, this is square. And the guy's like, okay, yeah, yeah, I got no problem with that. <laughs> and I remember watching that scene, and I was just laughing my ass off. And the first thing I thought about was Han Solo. Malcolm Reynolds understood the gravity of the situation. He understood that if I don't kill this guy now, there is a very real possibility that he is going to kill me later because he's a psychopath with a knife. And rather than deal with that possibility, took care of it now. With extreme prejudice, so and and I I, I don't I, I guess is it I mean you have kids JJ I mean does that bother you? No, it doesn't bother me bother me at all. I mean if if they ask me a question about it, I mean I I'm not sure that they they would notice it. First of all, I mean it's just not something that they key into about it being an awful thing or whatever. I mean, uh, Caleb would see it as, as Greedo and, and Han Solo were looking at each other and, and then Han Solo shot him and killed him. And then he would probably tell me about how brains were there and stuff like that because he likes really disgusting things. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it, yeah, my kids would just watch it and, and move on. I, I don't think that would be a, an, you know, I don't think it follows them the rest of their life or anything like that. That's just the ex- I don't want to say excuse, but that's the reasoning we get from both Spielberg and Lucas that as they're old men now and they have you know grown kids, they they want to set a good example. But it's not like these guys directed Pulp Fiction, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if 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 I was Quentin Tarantino and I had kids, I would start to feel a little weird and be like, uh, listen. 
don't watch my movies until you're 30, sure. right? It's like Robert Rodriguez, right? I mean, we've got Spy Kids, and we've got some other things, and then we've got, uh, oh. Dust Till Dawn. Dust, Dust Till Dawn. Dawn, yeah. Something like that, you know. Yeah. And that was a good example. Like, Robert Rodriguez, when they asked him, like, why are you making Spy Kids? You're not known for kids' movies. And he said, I want to make something for my kids. It's okay to yeah. make a movie for your kids, right? But you don't you need don't to go muck with the Change a classic stuff. for no apparent reason. <laughs> It'd be like going and changing the Goonies and taking out all the cuss words or something like that. I mean, Oh, don't say that, because he might do that. <laughs> Don't jinx it. I love the Goonies. I got the, the collector's edition box set at home. Great. So. You're going to give him the idea. Um, but, you know, other other interesting things have happened as a result of the Star Wars stuff. Um, one thing that I forgot to mention is uh, the rise of Jediism. Have, have you seen Have you seen a lot of that? Mm, are you talking about the actual religion? I'm talking about the actual religion, yes. Yeah, I've, I've heard of it. Um, I, I haven't ever looked into it or anything like that. But, yeah, I've, I've heard of it. Yeah, and and it's it's like partially a farce, uh, and it's partially like people are like, well, these are these are great ideas, and partially you know people making fun of the government. But yeah, so they have like the orthodox Jedi code. They follow the principles of the Jedi, like there is no emotion, there is peace, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. People wear hoods, places, and stuff like that. And yes, it's it's really hard to to, to take this seriously in in, in a way. Uh, I shouldn't say in a way. It's really hard to take this seriously, uh, but. Some people insist that they're serious about it. Most people don't. But it became a um, it became a thing where in census in, in the census information for a variety of reasons people would mark Jedi as their religion. And sometimes it was because they didn't think that belonged to the census. Sometimes they were just having fun. Sometimes they were you know protesting something. But yeah, in it was probably biggest in the UK. Uh, where uh, 0.7% of the population, which was close to 400,000 people, um, marked themselves as Jedi, which is more than Buddhism and Judaism and Sikhism uh, even. So uh, that was kind of interesting. That's right. Uh, in 2001, 2.6% of the population of Brighton claimed to be Jedi. Nice. I've done that before. <laughs> so you are Jedi? Well, I've also claimed to be – I've also claimed Judaism, so – you know, yeah, big, uh, from Big Lebowski. From Big Lebowski. Yeah. So uh, this one of the funny stories that that I saw was that um, in 2009, someone was uh, in Wales was kicked out of a supermarket uh, because he was wearing a hood, and he objected because he said he was a Jedi. <laughs> he was part of his religion. The owner, though, the owner responded saying, "Let's here's the quote." He hasn't been banned. Jedis are very welcome to shop in our stores, although we would ask him to remove their hoods. Obi-Wan, Kenobi, Yoda, and Luke Skywalker all appeared hoodless without ever going to the dark side. We're only aware of the Emperor as one who never removed his hood. <laughs> Good nice. counter. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's this all this interesting stuff has come uh, out of the the whole Star Wars just universe. The, the influence of Star Wars, I think, on even day-to-day life, can you know, not just for people who are really into it, uh, but for anybody, it's pretty significant, I think. Yeah, I think that goes back to our previous point, too, is that Lucas just got a huge head. Somewhere somewhere between 1977 and, and 1999, I mean, his head just got so big that he wasn't able to wrap it around good directing or writing or anything else. And it's, it's very weird, because on one hand, Lucas seems to be pretty... Um, not completely, but he allows a lot of fan stuff 
on, on yeah. online. Like he allows fan fiction and fan art and fan videos, and he really likes them even. He's, he's even he's had contests for stuff like that. But he's also very controlling about the official stuff. Um, I heard a story from someone who worked at Wizards of the Coast at, at a panel that um, he had to fly to LucasArts and go to, to the to the ranch uh, with the with the prototype minis. Like he they couldn't just ship them; he had to take them over there to their licensing people, and they had to examine and approve each mini. And they actually rejected one of the one of the uh, the Imperial Princesses mini because they thought she looked too aggressive because she was holding a gun. And but yeah, but it was very very odd and controlling in in some ways for the licensing stuff. He, I mean, like one that I heard of recently was uh, he was a producer on that um, on that movie about the World War II fighters, um, the Red something. Red Tails, Red Tails, Red Tails, yeah. And I remember watching him on the Daily Show, and he's talking about how it's you know super authentic, and he was the only one you know they were the only ones telling this, and it was you know a, a story that needed to be told, and nobody wanted them to tell it, but you know by God they were going to do it because it was a story that needed to be told. And I'm sitting there thinking, didn't HBO do like an extended series called the Tuscany you know Airmen that was really good and actually historically accurate and not just you know because you, you watch Red Tails and it's just an action vehicle, right? It, it it doesn't come across as like a a a historical drama, but more of a you know kind of a fighter you know kind of a Top Gun type of thing, right? You know fighter jets in the sky and stuff, just set in within the World War II background. And so I I kind of agree with Carlos that that you know he's sitting there you know claiming that he's the only one willing to tell this story and that people are trying to keep him from telling the story. And it's like no one's keeping you from telling that story. It's been told already pretty well you know Lawrence Fishburne was in the original and I mean I don't know I, I I'm with you on this one Carlos I think just listening to him in interviews you kind of get the sense like almost like Steve Jobs in a way that he's he's kind of selling a bullshit that you know maybe only really he believes so I, I don't know I mean it's stuff like that kind of ruins the, the the veneer a little bit for me yeah, but like I said, it's in a weird contrast to the fan stuff that he's allowed. So I don't, I don't quite know what to make of that. Well, I mean, I think the reason he allows the fan con, I mean, for for how, as big as his ego may be, I think he knows which you know where his bread's buttered, right? You know, he keeping the Star Wars franchise healthy and, and active, you know, keeps a, a steady paycheck rolling to him. You know, the, that 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 uh, that uh, Skywalker Ranch doesn't pay for itself. Although, did you hear the most hilarious thing that happened recently with all that stuff? Uh, was that with the neighbors involved with the neighbors with that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I haven't the, heard this. Tell me. So for the longest time, you know, Luke Lucas lives in a very nice part of California, right? And so all of his neighbors are people who are like him have are pretty well off, right? And so for the longest time, he's been trying to build a studio there, right? You know, and and it would you know create jobs and it would bring in you know millions of dollars. But his his neighbors don't want a studio there. They think it would ruin the small town vibe and and you know bring in elements that they're not fond of. So they've actually been blocking his attempts, his his requests for you know the uh, to to get clearance and and um, to get rights to to make the studio. So he's been trying for ten years, and finally he was just you know what I'm done. I'm done. I can't do it. So he said, you know what? We're going to make low-income housing. How do you like that? 
And so the and and because they can't block that, right? You know, there are special allowances for low-income housing wherever people will make it, right? So now, rather than build a studio, they're going to build low-income housing, and all of a sudden, their quaint little upscale town is maybe going to lose some of its uh, shine with uh, some of the people who might take advantage of the of the, uh, the low-income housing. So that was that was kind of his, you know, giving the bird to his neighbors on that one. Nice. So, because it's our podcast, I wanted to talk a little bit more about the RPGs, because all of us have played the RPGs, if, uh, if I'm not wrong, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, the RPG, the, like we mentioned, the earlier one was the West End Games RPG, which uh, happened between 87 and 99, and they published a lot. I think there's more than 70 like core and supplement books and another 50, 60 adventures, they they really did a really great job with that license, and they released a whole lot of stuff. Very well received. Um, I've got a few of the books. It uses a D6 system, uh, which is which is not quite the D20 system. It's a little bit rules lighter, but it, it's similar when you have attributes and targets and stuff like that. And did some interesting things with the force mechanic. Um, but I'm a lot more familiar with the Wizards of the Coast version, which uh, came out originally in 2000. And they only recently uh, gave the license up. Um, and uh, so, But right now, though, those are the only two existing Star Wars RPGs that have been officially published. Fantasy Flight Games currently has the license but has yet to publish an RPG. So if you do want to play an official Star Wars role-playing game, you'll have to go back to one of, uh, one of the earlier ones. And, but they're both pretty easy to get. Um, it's a little bit easier, and by a little bit, I mean a lot easier to complete the Wizards of the Coast collection because they only did uh, about 13 or so books, uh, whereas, uh, like I said, the, the Western games, there's about 140. Um, but the Star Wars role-playing game from the Wizards of the Coast edition was interesting because it was pre-third edition, but, uh, I mean, post-third edition, but pre-fourth edition. And you mm-hmm. can see them moving to the fourth edition elements in Star Wars. I actually, oh, yeah. I, I really like the Star Wars system. The, 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 in the, particularly in the Saga edition, which I think might actually be the revised system, but I think uh, I enjoyed that game quite a bit. Did you ever play the D6 system? I did. So, uh, you know my, my buddy Tom that I keep mentioning from Japan? He, um, while I was living in Japan, he, ra- he ran a great uh, uh, campaign using the D6 system. I think that's you know, if you asked him, you know, gun to his head, which was his favorite um, RP system, I think he would say the D6 system. That's one he's very familiar with. Yeah, I find that actually to be true with a lot of people who play the DC six the the Western game system a lot. That they prefer that one to the Star Wars one. I just didn't play it very much, so I don't I don't you know from, quite have that attachment. From what I remember, it was a bit more like the White Wolf system in that it's about successes and and you know trying to to roll so many D sixes and you know make over a certain value over on the D sixes. That's kind of like how White Wolf work, works, except it uses D tens rather than D sixes and such. Yeah, um, that's that's essentially what it did. Yeah. yeah. So, but it was a good system. It, it was it was more about storytelling and less about um, you know the combat. Combat mechanics were definitely in there, but it was about telling your personal story within the Jedi universe. Um, and and it was it was fun. Uh, but you know, I I, I am a D and D fan, and I do like the the D twenty mechanics. And and I thought it it, it fit well within the the the, uh, the Wizards of the Coast system. It, it it got a little funky when I got to the force stuff, right? Because and that is a problem. That is a internal problem. Is that Jedi are better than everyone else in a, mm-hmm. in any case? Just about. It's hard to not play a Jedi, right? 
you feel but, like you're you're doing it wrong if you don't play a Jedi because they're just so powerful. Right, well, you can't play Star Wars unless unless your Jedi is kind of the misnomer, I think. Um, it, it, and they make the Jedi more powerful than anybody else. So why why would you play anything else? And and I think that that's just a problem, maybe in the mechanic of of a Star Wars RPG. I, I don't know. So JJ actually ran our last long running uh, Star Wars game, and eventually had to quit. <laughs> Because <laughs> the Jedi yes. were just. Would you like off. to tell us why you had to quit? Well, I mean, essentially, I put an encounter in there that you could not win, um, it, and and it, it was actually written into the module that way. Um, it, you were you were not supposed to win this encounter. So, essentially, one Jedi lifted the Rancor up to the ceiling, and everybody else shot it until it was dead, like eight hundred turns later. So. Um, just it it just lost all of its luster for me after that. It was kind of like, well, what what's the point of of running this if if I can't you know if and I can't only, challenge you? And I have to say, in this game, not only did we have Jedi, we had incredibly min max Jedi. We had people choosing the race so that they can get their Jedi wisdom higher and get more powers and like completely dropping everything in this everything having to do with strength, whatever, just so that they can use the force to make JJ cry. It's basically right. what it ended up being. I think I think Matt, who who we talked about a little bit earlier, um at, at who Star Wars saved his life, killed Star Wars for me. So that's kind of ironic. Um, but I think his character by the end there could grab a moon and throw it at somebody. Uh, and, that is I correct. Think... He definitely could grab a uh, an, an Imperial uh, cruiser. Or, yeah, he definitely could grab one of the large spaceships, a, a, a Star Destroyer, sorry, uh, and, and throw the Star Destroyer at someone. I wouldn't be shocked if he could th- throw a moon as well. Yeah. yeah. And we weren't even, like, super high level at that point. No, no, you weren't. It, it was it was just disappointing. So um, that w- that is one of the problems that you have to, if if you're ever interested in running a Star Wars RPG, um, it's 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 a double problem because mechanically Jedi are often um, superior to others, uh, partly because they're Jedi, but also story wise narratively, you know Jedi have lightsabers, Jedi can do crazy tricks. It's really easy for a Jedi to dominate a game. Any game, you know, and I've I've played Star Wars. Um, I played Saga Edition with another group, and we had um, not not as bad, but we had a similar thing happen that we had a a full blown Jedi, and this full blown Jedi was just made combat obsolete just by himself, and he didn't do the Force thing. Uh, he mainly did just uh, dedicated everything into doing lightsaber combat, and basically the same thing. Any kind of combat that came up, he won. No question, you know, and we we were there, and we could you know take our little shots off and some and something like that. But it was, and so again, as as a as a d as a GM, as a game master, as someone running this kind of game, those are two things that you have to be really careful with, and also make it so that the other players feel effective and needed. Um, I I really like JJ your game JJ. I, I I enjoyed it quite a bit, and I'd love to play Star Wars again sometime. Um, but. Yeah, I think that's going to be one of the tricky parts is how do you how do you integrate this? And and how do you integrate it without outright banning Jedi? That would be tough. Yeah, that's that's my thought. I mean, I do have a I do have another campaign in mind um based on a book that I've read recently and um I, I my thought is I'm I'm just going to ban Jedi. Uh but 
um, and, and it would work in the in the in the scenario that we would do, um, since you you should all be scoundrels in this. It is a book based off a of Han Solo. So, um, but you know, then again, I want I want the players to be able to. I, I mean, if you're playing Star Wars, you want to play a Jedi. So maybe a, a supremely nerfed Jedi, or maybe a Padawan learner, or something. I don't or, know. Or requiring a multi-classing or something. Yeah, there's there's ways that I think that can be dealt with. But yeah, that's that's a challenge. Um, I see that uh, BJ just shared the quote from JJ with Matt, so hopefully we'll get a response to that soon. <laughs> it was a good quote. I thought Matt would like that. You know, I, I think so too. But yeah, so um, I know maybe we can get Tom and and Derek, who I've talked about before with the board games. I know he played quite a bit of the uh, D6 Star Wars. Maybe they can uh, chime in one of these days about. The, the game, and if it is superior, then why is it superior to the later games? I think that'd be a great idea, because I know Tom uh, Tom would love to, to just geek out about Star Wars for a little bit. It's probably his favorite sci-fi fantasy setting of, of anything out there, and uh, he can speak for hours and hours about it. I think a good follow-up episode you know, would, would be something like that. Um, but it's it's uh, I, I play a lot of play by post campaigns right I, I run two I play in, in another one and I kind of follow a whole bunch of them and I see people run the Star Wars system and you guys are absolutely right the first thing they do is when they're advertising the campaign like new campaign Star Wars universe you know uh, post you know return you know pre whatever they say oh no Jedi's that's like the first thing that they always say is no Jedi's right and and it's understandable in like uh you know post return of the jedi because there aren't really that many jedis right you know they, they they've been wiped out but they they mainly do it to not deal with the bullshit of, of the class you know that's just something you have to do unfortunately so just just how it is on so that was mainly what i wanted to cover today i mean we talked about so much about Star Wars, and we didn't even get to Disney World, because have you all been on Star Tours? Because I remember doing that was, as a kid. <laughs> I was going to mention that I have never been on Star Tours, uh, but because uh, I went to Disneyland right before Star Tours came out, mm-hmm. uh, but we are going this November, and I'm finally going on Star Tours. That's uh, awesome. Taking my son with me. Now, do they have, they also have Jedi Academy now, don't they? Do they? I think so. At, at the Disney or at one, at one of those resorts where you can have the kid come up on stage and do stuff, or, or not even if on, they do have that part of the show. But there's also other Star Wars themed stuff speci- specifically for kids that looks like a lot of fun. There's a really fun video where um, there's a little girl doing the Jedi Academy at at this theme park, and you know there's this point where Darth Vader is like, you know, join me, and the little kid is supposed to say, you know, no, do the Jedi Academy, but but she wants to. <laughs> I, I saw that she got like he's like joined the dark side she, so she started to kneel down and yes she was like i joined and everyone's like what i, was, I thought that was awesome i agree or there was the other one where ray parks showed up oh, i have not seen that so there's a youtube episode i think where ray parks you know there i think darth maul has like a, a small scene in there somewhere and uh so ray parks is actually at the park and he jumped on stage and he did the darth maul part and he's just like in his t-shirt and jeans and stuff like that but he can still do like all the stunts a thousand times better than the guy who's doing darth maul on the stage and of course it gave us uh the robot chicken and family guy star wars yes i was looking at imdb and apparently george lucas was involved he helped write some of that yep 
And of course, wow. it's got they both got uh, Seth Green involved. So Seth Green and Seth MacFarlane have that little rivalry about their Star Wars shows, which is fun. Yes, it's because they got the Star Wars Family Guy episode, and and that was also pretty epic too. Mm-hmm. And the best Star Wars parody of all time, of course, Spaceballs. Spaceballs. How can you yep. not love? I mean, I, I I'll admit that that's probably a generational thing that you know younger people aren't going to be familiar with that, but it was still freaking awesome. Yeah, Pizza the Hut. It just pizza doesn't get any hut. better than dripping pizza, fat man. That's awesome. Right, and for people who maybe aren't of our generation, Spaceballs, <laughs> Mel Brooks movie, 1987, uh, starred Bill Pullman as uh, Lone Star, who was the Luke Skywalker character. Uh, also, John Candy as the uh, as Ralph. The Chewbacca, as Ralph. That's why dog. I keep doing that to Shane, because Shane's got that cleric in our <laughs> campaign name, Ralph, and I keep going, look, whenever it's his turn initiative, I look at him and I go, Ralph. Ralph. It's because of Spaceballs. He's a mog, half man, half dog. That's right. But his own best friend. Yeah, but Rick Moranis as the Darth Vader character. Yeah, so it, it is It is a fun movie. If you've never watched it, check it out. I actually don't know how well the humor ha- uh, stands up over time, but I'm going to go back and watch it now. I think it does. I, I think I think most of Mel Brooks stuff you know, holds up pretty well. You know, like um, uh, the uh, Robin Hood Men in Tights still holds up. Um, Silent Picture still holds up. You know, History of the World Part 1 still holds up. So. Blazing Saddles uh, certainly holds lazy. up. Blazing Saddles. Oh my God, that one, that scene where Gene Wilder does, you know, yeah, but this is my shooting hand. That will still make me giggle for a full minute whenever I see that. Although I have to say, Dracula Dead and Loving It doesn't really stand up. No, well, I mean, like into the nine, you know, into the nineties, he was certain. I think his last good movie was Robin Hood Men in Tights, and then after that, I I don't think his stuff really was doing that good. I, I I don't know what he was trying to do, but it just wasn't accomplishing the same thing. Yeah, but I, I really like the producers and Spaceballs and Young Frankenstein and all those other Mel Brooks classics. But yes, I'm going to go back and watch Spaceballs. Yes, yes. So I, I think I think we're good. I think we covered enough. It's going to, of course, require follow-up. We'll, we'll have to have other guests come on to kind of throw their their two cents about this Star Wars universe because I think it touches people in different ways, right? And And Star Wars can exist with Star Trek. They can both be a positive influence on your life. You don't have to pick one. It's not like your parents are getting divorced or something like that, right? You know, it's okay for both to exist and you love both of them. I sure don't. I love them both. Although the uh, the uh, Captain Kirk Princess Leia YouTube battles are pretty funny. <laughs> but I think that was settled very expertly by George Takei and where he said, you know, Star Wars fans, Star Trek fans, can't we all just come together and hate Twilight? <laughs> that was that was very classy of him. I agree. Very nice. Yes. Alrighty then. So I think uh, you guys feel solid about all the stuff we covered. I am. I think, so. I think we're good. Thank all you very right. much for thank you very much for coming on again, JJ. No problem. We always appreciate your insight. So that will be us from coming out of the basement on the network interface podcast network. You can find us on Twitter at cotb1, and you can email us at podcast at comingoutofthebasement.com. You can also find us at comingoutofthebasement.com. And I see that we're starting to get some more downloads, so I think I think it's going pretty well. And the Network Interface people will be happy to know that many of those links do, in fact, come from the Network Interface. Absolutely. Sweet. So we'll talk to you guys next week. Thank you very much for listening. And that's Goodbye. how Equestria was made. <laughs> Laters.
Network interface disabled. Goodbye.